Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracemc.org. Today I want to talk about Jonah. Jonah is a crazy missionary story. And uh, I love crazy missionary stories, uh, especially the ones that have kind of this heroic faith and miracles and all that kind of stuff. I think my favorite one is uh, a lady named Gladys Alward. Uh, she was a missionary in China, and uh, it's like episode after episode after episode is like that with this amazing, uh, epic level of faith. But my favorite part, I think, is uh, she was friends with the mayor of this uh, Chinese city, and uh, there was a riot in the prison. Uh, by the way, uh, Gladys was known for how short she was. Even in China, uh, they nicknamed her Small Woman. Okay, uh, so um, anyway, uh, the mayor, her friend, called on her because there was a huge violent riot in this prison, maximum security type situation, uh, uh, yeah, people being killed, bloody mess, and so, you know, right, call the missionary lady. And so, so she says somehow, yes, because he put her on the spot. Your God can do anything, right? And so then what are you going to say? Uh, okay. So with fear and trembling, she goes, and the end of the story is this mysterious miracle where she somehow says to the, you know, biggest guy in the, in the place, knock it off. And, uh, you know, through all those prayers, somehow it ends up being resolved. And she shares the gospel with everybody in the prison. Um, <clears throat> heroic, epic, amazing. You know, I would have been, yeah, you know, I don't think I'm your guy, right? Um, yeah. But Jonah, his story isn't quite so uh, epic and heroic. As far as missionaries go, Jonah kind of left a lot to be desired. I know we all kind of have the Jonah story in our head back from the, the days when you were little and you went to Sunday school, right? Jonah was the guy that was in the fish. Um, but, but this actually isn't so much of a, a heroic faith of Jonah story. It's an amazing grace of God story. Um, a story of what God can do, what God is like, um, what God can even do with super messed up people like Jonah. And then that's where I insert, and like us. Um, God often sends people and uses people uh, whose faith is, is what seems like not enough. God often loves to heal and grow and use people all in some sort of uh, uh, concoction that's mixed into one. Um, God uses missionaries. Uh, so Jesse mentioned, I think, I can't remember if he mentioned, that uh, I'm a leader of a mission agency, International Messengers. Um, and so I know that God uses missionaries that don't pray as much as they should, um, he uses missionaries who uh, get off track sometimes. On our staff, we have delightful saints who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who struggle. 
struggle with all sorts of things, um, pornography, alcohol, same-sex attraction, you name it. And a lot of their sin issues are more in the present than you would like to report, right? You know, we like to tell the stories of, back then I was that, but now, you know, and we show how cleaned up and nice we are. But uh, uh, that's not always the case. Um, somehow God's given us as a mission agency this calling to uh, uh, send those who kind of need a second chance. Um, but the cool thing about that is we see all these amazing grace stories uh, of how God uses people like me, people like us, who really aren't quite ready for that level of being used by God yet, and somehow he does it. Um, <clears throat> Let me just give you where we're going here. Um, this is a statement straight out of, out of the text. God is merciful and compassionate. It says, he is filled with unfailing love toward the lost world. God's also pretty active in showing the same traits that mercy, compassion, unfailing love uh, with reluctant and dysfunctional missionaries and people like us and like Jonah. Let me give you a little background on the book of Jonah before we get into chapter 4 here. Uh, It's unique. When you read through the books of the prophets and and all those stories, usually what you read is uh, the message the prophet has for those people that he's preaching to. But in Jonah, he's really the main character and the story is really about him. We do hear what he preaches and stuff, but that's sort of secondary here. Uh, it's an interesting glimpse into Jonah's life that we don't usually get. So Jonah was sent as a Jew to the world power of his day, the mighty Assyrians. And, and in complicated geopolitical terms, the Assyrians were the bullies. Okay, they were uh, um, gobbling up nations, and they were renowned for their cruelty. They loved to humiliate the leaders. They they would put fish hooks through through people's tongues and drag them naked through the streets to convince everybody, "Don't try anything." Um, <clears throat> and so it's easy to see uh, why Jonah might have been reluctant to go be a missionary to those people, right? Well, it's scary, but those people are the enemy. And, you know, everybody can see on the horizon, we're in their way. They're coming for us. And so, again, uh, fear, reluctance. But I could also see a little bit of nationalism there, right? I want to protect my people. If I go to preach to these people, who knows what will end up happening? Okay, so here's Jonah's, the whole, the whole book, chapter 1, 2, and 3 in a nutshell. Chapter 1, God calls Jonah and says, go to Nineveh. That's the capital city, the great city, as it says, um, <clears throat> of Assyria. Jonah flees, goes the opposite way, gets on a boat for Tarshish. And God sends the fish. And they throw Jonah over. It swallows him up in chapter 2. Jonah prays this beautiful prayer right out of the Psalms um, and uh, uh, asks God to save him. Chapter 3, the fish vomits Jonah up. And then Jonah preaches in Nineveh. It's this uh, uh, 
lovely message that says, in 40 days, God's going to judge you. He goes through the whole city. It's not like in uh, uh, Jesus' day, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, like a real inviting sort of thing. It's God's going to judge you. You got 40 days. And, you know, there isn't an invitation of any sort in Jonah's message. But it says from the greatest to the least, all of them repented. Even though Jonah didn't really even seem to want them to repent, all of them did, and uh, maybe the greatest revival in all of history. It says the king put his robes aside. He asked that even the animals would fast so that they could beg God to uh, uh, relent from sending the judgment. So this is where we pick up at chapter 4 with this uh, incredible miracle of the enemy capital, capital city, king and all, turning turning to the Lord. Jonah chapter 4, here we go. Uh, Bear with me, I'm going to insert some of my comments in the middle of the text here. Um, So, this change of plans, meaning not judging them, God decided not to judge them. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Okay, um, if you've been following the story so far, they all repented, right? And as the prophet of God, this is what you're supposed to want. As a missionary, this is like what every missionary dreams about, That somehow, not just that one or that two, but that there'd be this huge thing that somehow God does. Um, But Jonah, it says, became very angry. And so he complained to the Lord about it. Okay, that makes sense, right? He complains to the Lord, and he says, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. So this is Jonah's complaint. You know? The nerve that you would dare be so merciful. You always got to be full of compassion, don't you? You know? Um, you can you just sense the absurdity of it, right? Like, what in the world? Um, <clears throat> Jonah says in verse 3, Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I preached will not happen. Okay, again, again, uh, the, the epic stories, the heroic faith stories, are where the missionary or the faith hero... Uh, is willing to lay down their life and die so that those people would be saved, right? That's what they write the books about and the movies and stuff like that. Jonah's is kind of like that, except opposite, okay? Um, Like, if you save those people, you might as well just kill me. Not laying down his life, take my life, because I don't, I don't even want to be on this earth if you save them. Um, <clears throat> kill me now. I'd rather be 
I'd rather be dead than alive. Uh, Verse 4. Verse 4. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Um, Is it right? That's rhetorical, right? Everybody sees that. That's a rhetorical question. No, no, it's not right for him to be angry about this. But, uh, you know, if if you've ever had uh, a back and forth um, where you got real angry and emotional, sometimes the reasonable response isn't what happens, right? And uh, uh, I know, like, in my marriage, when it's obvious that I'm on the losing side, but which is... Typical, but uh, uh, <clears throat> but my emotions are still you know way up here. But my head is telling me you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And uh, but so then you then I just don't say anything, right? Because you know that anything you say is going to end up not working out well. And so that's what Jonah did. He just didn't say anything. He turned around and left. I imagine Jonah when he walks out, uh, turning and slamming the door as he leaves. And then he storms out, stomping his feet outside the city. Verse 5, Jonah went out to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Okay, what do you think Jonah was waiting to see? I think Jonah was still hoping this judgment thing would happen. You know, like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, some fireball. I want to, you know, if this happens, I want to be here to see it. And the Lord God arranged, verse 6, the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. There's a contrast there. Grateful for the plant, but angry about the Ninevites. But God also arranged, verse 7, a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. You get the two-year-old pouty thing? That's, that's kind of what we have here. Uh, verse 9, and God said to Jonah a second time, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Okay, the answer hasn't changed. Nope, not right for him to be angry about this. Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Okay. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, that you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Um, if you have a different translation, it probably says 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. That's a more literal uh, interpret or a, a translation there who don't know their right hand from their left maybe children i don't know but anyway he says uh, not to mention all the animals shouldn't i feel sorry for such a great city and that's where the book ends i'd like to i'd like it to end with jonah saying i'm so sorry 
we don't get the rest of that story with Jonah. What it ends with is God calling him back. Just like Jonah, um, I can kind of relate to Jonah in Assyria. Because Jonah was accurate in the things that he said about God, right? Merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, full of love. Yep, I, can, I know those things. But Jonah's attitude made it pretty obvious that he was way off from God's heart, even though he knew these things that were true. Um, he was so far off that he got enraged about this incredible missionary success story. Um, it's an absurd response, but in a whisper, I might admit that I understand him really well. I can be chronically apathetic at times. Some of the people the Lord loves the most, I find hard to love. Often I see or hear about people uh, with a political view that I see as unhelpful or even hurtful or evil. And then I start thinking of those people as the opposition instead of thinking of them as people that are deeply loved by the Lord. And then when people hurt me or criticize me, I can think the same sort of way. I can think of them as, as the enemy or the opposition instead of as people who are loved. Um, when you start thinking of people that way, then you become Jonah-like in the sense that you uh, uh, don't hope for mercy. You hope for judgment. At least Jonah had the well-being of his own people in mind, right? You know, uh, if God judges these people, then we won't get conquered. Uh, But for me, uh, my excuses are things like, well, it'll be awkward if I talk about Jesus, then, uh, you know, how will that affect our relationship? And there'll be a ripple effect, and I'll be one of those weird Jesus people in their mind. and, And, you know, I've got all these things that as I talk about them up here on stage, they sound really incredibly lame. Um. See, I like to uh, sing songs and hear sermons that make me feel good about myself, make me know more and feel good about how much I know. It's this going and saying and uh, loving part that's hard. Um, I'm just like Jonah in a lot of ways. And yet, remember, this isn't a Jonah Story like about how big or small his faith is. This is a grace story about the God who uses missionaries like Jonah. And so I find great reassurance in that because I can identify with him in his weakness and I can say, I'm going to identify with him in that God cares for him and uses him even, even in his bad place that he's in. God's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love for people like us, just like he is for Jonah and the Assyrians. So a theme of this book is God's provision. Um, The terminology God provided is used often, but you can see God's hand throughout, even when it doesn't use that. Um, God sent the storm 
when Jonah was going the wrong way. Um, they cast lots to see whose fault it was, and Jonah's number came up. Uh, they tried to row harder, and God made the storm worse. He provided the fish, it says. It uses that terminology. And when the fish vomited Jonah up, that's also God's provision too. God relentlessly pursued Jonah, even when he wasn't really open to being pursued by God. Um, And I'm just so thankful that God doesn't always let us just go our own way, that he keeps pursuing, that his love is relentless like that. Um, But it's not the end of it. Like Jonah gets in and out of the fish and then it's done. Jonah still has to go to Nineveh and do the thing. He still has to go and preach to him. Um, It's amazing for me sometimes I drag myself into these ministry situations where I'm supposed to be the person who's the spiritually mature one. And I I get there, but with some reluctance. Um, This summer, I went to Egypt, and uh, in the month or four to six weeks leading up to that, I had some seizure issues and was in a car accident and was in the hospital and, and there's just a lot going on at home. And I was like, should I even do this? You know, it was a wrestle for me. Should I do this or not? And honestly, there's a part of me that wanted to, but there's a pretty significant part that really didn't want to. Um, and then I got there and, and, uh, on the second day, on the second day, this young man started asking me about what it means to believe in Jesus. You know, like, like, like you just, if you scripted it like the way it happened in Egypt, it would have seemed a little too cheesy. You know, like really, does it ever really happen that neat and nice? And you just wanted to understand what does it mean to follow God? What do I need to do? And so um, all of a sudden, my reluctance just went whoosh out the window because it was pretty clear that God wanted me here in this moment, and it didn't matter how I felt about it leading up to that. This moment really mattered. God's provision continued, and like he provided for me in that time, God provided for Jonah, but God provided, it says, the vine that gave him shade, and then it says he provided the worm that took away the shade, and he provided the scorching wind, and God's still trying to teach Jonah and us and to draw Jonah and us back to himself. Even as the book ends with God contrasting his love for the Ninevites um, uh, with with Jonah's own heart about this plant, You get the idea that the whole thing is an object lesson to show us what God is like. He accomplishes his purposes in his prophet while he's accomplishing his purposes among the nations. And I want that to be my story. God accomplishing his purposes in me. Let's uh, go to the end here, um, bringing it home. How far will God go to do a soul-saving work? There's, there's really one answer to that question. It's to the cross. To the cross. If God will go that far, sending his only son to the cross, 
then I don't need to wonder if he would show his love to me. What am I willing to attempt? What am I willing to attempt? Uh, Because I understand God's heart. Is there some Assyria, some Nineveh that God is whispering to you about? Something that seems a little far, a little outside of what you're comfortable doing? Some faith step that God would be calling you to? Uh, Second, who is God's grace really for? I think Jonah uh, appreciated that God had saved him and his people. Um, In fact, God had just saved him like out of the out of the sea and out of the whale. So it's a pretty strong salvation story, but he didn't want it for those people. And I just want to say we can't have those people. There are no those people. The message to, to Jonah is the Ninevites are my people. At the end... You know, where God says, shouldn't I feel pity on this great city? You know, you care about the plant that you didn't do anything for, but these are people I made. These are people I love. When God gives grace to me, it's for me, for others. I should never think of God's grace like I'm not an end point in God's grace, and none of us who've experienced the love of Christ, none of us are meant to be an end point. We're meant to be a pass-through. God's grace is for me, for others. It's not for me, and end of sentence. Third, do I need to protect myself from God, or can I really trust him with everything? See, Jonah tried to protect himself, protect his people by going the wrong way, And I just want to say that even if your faith isn't like Gladys Alward, you know, level of faith, that uh, um, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. This sermon could be preached all over again with a whole focus on anger. Jonah was angry with God, I think. Not I think. It's obvious Jonah was angry with God. And if you know what that's about... If you felt disappointed with God, angry with God, if you got some stuff that's not resolved, like where were you and why didn't you and how could you, if you've got that stuff all pent up, I just want you to know God can handle that. You don't have to stuff it down and pretend like it's not real. Pour it out. Pour it out. He's been around that block. You're not the first one to feel that way. It's okay. It's okay. God's trustworthy. And we don't need to be afraid of him. We can trust him. So praise the Lord that God's grace is enough for me, for you, for Jonah, for whatever our issues might be. And praise the Lord that God uses people like us. May we be grace givers in all the opportunities that he gives us this week. Lord, thank you for this message, this grace story. And I pray that uh, you would enable us and empower us to be grace givers in all the opportunities. Uh, Lord, I know, I know that you have opportunities for us. And so help us to be open and ready. In Jesus' name, amen. 